Africa rise and shine Africa tsoka Africa amuka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the African Perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabitha Luhoko and Fiile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, calls for South Africa's president to step down and intensify and boat accident kills at least 37 people in Malawi. In economics news, Nigeria plans to get out of recession by boosting government revenues. And in sports news, South African athletes target double titles at the ASA Senior Championships. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, um, and Musa. The Egyptian military says its air force has killed 19 Islamic extremists in the volatile Sinai Peninsula. It says the strikes in northern and central Sinai on terrorist strongholds of the local Islamic State group affiliate also destroyed four vehicles. The announcement comes a day after police said they killed one of the militants involved in an attack on a checkpoint that killed a policeman earlier this week. Lusitu's Opposition Alliance of Democrats Youth Leader Tuso Dichobo has been charged with the murder of a fellow party member. Dichobo and his bodyguard allegedly shot Tabiso Mukulu in a feud over election candidates two weeks ago. Dichobo was arrested and released, then remanded in custody after appearing in the Maseru Magistrates Court. Ntakwana Ngatane reports from Maseru. of Democrats is barely four months old, but it has become the first party in Lesotho to have a primary candidacy feud end in death. Leader Munyanu Muleleki has condemned the incident, but 34-year-old firebrand youth leader Tusori Jobo and his bodyguard have now been implicated. Both are out on bail and say they were manhandled while in custody, attracting local and international human rights observer condemnation. They will go back to court in May. The United Nations mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, has received reports of fighting between government and opposition forces around Atar and Ruwachi in the Upper Nau region. A UN patrol to Kadok Town, also in Upper Nau, observed that the town was deserted. Jocelyn Sembira reports. In eastern Equatoria, a UN patrol to the town of Puji met with civilians who reported that Sudan People's Liberation Army, SPLA, soldiers 
looted houses and government offices, as well as a health facility during recent military operations in the area. Meanwhile, in Marang and Jonglé, the SPLA prevented UN peacekeepers from going on patrol and forced them to return to base after unsuccessful negotiations. A Rwandan man accused of leading and coordinating attacks on minority Tutsis during Rwanda's 1994 genocide has been sentenced to life imprisonment for his role in the mass slaughter. Bernard Muyangi Shari's lawyer says they will appeal his sentence. In the genocide, an estimated 800,000 ethnic Tutsis and moderate Hutus were killed in just 100 days. Munyangi Shari was arrested in neighboring DRC in 2011. His case was transferred to Rwanda in 2013 from Arusha, Tanzania, where the now-closed International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda was based. And finally, French President François Hollande has promised absolute vigilance after a policeman was shot dead in central Paris. Two others were wounded in the attack. The gunman tried to flee on foot, but other police officers shot him down. He was identified by the papers he left in his kind reports, say he was known to the intelligence services. Searches have been conducted on a home on the eastern Paris suburbs. After meeting with security officials, Holland confirmed the attack was being treated as a terrorist incident. I have convened a crisis meeting for 8 o'clock. Our security forces, our police, our military police will remain on the highest state of alert and we will remain very vigilant, especially in light of the upcoming election. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Calls for South Africa's President Jacob Zuma to step down are intensifying. Another civil society organization, the Freedom Movement, led by political analyst Prince Mashele, has joined forces with some opposition parties that include the Democratic Alliance and the UDM calling for the president's removal from office. The group is also supported by labor organizations FEDUSA and Solidarity. Ndebo Mugobo has more. President Jacob Zuma's decision to remove former finance minister Pravin Gordon has become an albatross on his administration. This has led to South Africa being downgraded to junk status for the first time since 1994. And for the first time, alliance partners Kosato and the SACP have openly disagreed with the ANC president and called for him to step down. Additionally, the country has been engulfed by a series of marches by some civil society organizations and some political parties, all calling for the president's removal. And the call is gaining momentum. Another civil society led by political analyst Prince Marshall joined the Zuma Must Go chorus. We, the representatives of political formations, civil society, workers, religious organizations and academia are gathered here to announce the beginning of a movement to remove President Zuma from office, protect the South African constitution, restore power to the people of South Africa and protect their hard-won freedom. 
and safeguard the state as an instrument of transformation and the socio-economic development of all South Africans. The immediate objective of this grouping is to help facilitate a large-scale protest outside Parliament when a motion of no confidence is debated. Marshale claims their action is supported by Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu. And I quote what he has written to us as a group. In principle, Aunt Leah and I are in support of a united coalition calling on all South Africans to join the event on 27th April. It is important that we unite as South Africans to bring an end to state capture and that we further have values of our democratic society by speaking out against any and all kinds of injustice in our society. DA leader Musima Imani says their efforts are aimed at saving South Africa from what he calls bad administration by the ANC and its president. The objective that is here today is about saying, how do we ensure that the boat that is South Africa stays afloat, is a prosperous one that opens up opportunities for all South Africa? There have been a number of initiatives in the recent while that have brought South Africans from different strands. This is part of us saying we are better if we stand together and even if that standing together is against one individual. For ultimately, one person cannot have the power over 55 million of us, South Africa. And ultimately, when there's a freedom movement such as this one, seeks to say, let us reclaim our freedom. Let us uphold constitutionalism. UTM leader Bantu Holomisa says they've also invited some in the ANC to join their call for the removal of the president. We do so because we don't want to be seen to be ganging up against other South Africans. But rather we are saying let us converge under one roof and identify problems in our systems, including the issue of the Constitution. There are certain areas which need that uh, South Africans must uh, close ranks and swallow our pride irrespective of one's political affiliation but put South Africa and its citizens first. The group has vowed to lead rallies and marches across the country in the coming days, including converging at Freedom Park on Freedom Day to highlight their dissatisfaction with the president. They have also organized another march outside parliament on the day when the motion of no confidence against the president will be debated. I am Tebo Mokobe in Soweto. Former AU Commission Chairperson Nkosazana Laminizuma, who is also a member of the South Africa's ruling African National Congress Executive Committee, says the ruling party is unapologetic for forging ahead with accelerated land redistribution and radical economic transformation. She was addressing scores of ANC Youth League supporters attending the free education lecture in Durban. Lamini Zuma also told the Youth League that free education up to the university level should not be delayed on the basis that there is no money to fund it. Meanwhile, the Youth League reiterated Lamini Zuma as their preferred candidate for the ANC president position. Vusi Makosini reports. Youth League supporters who packed the DUT hall sang their hearts out singing pro Lamini Zuma songs. Lamini Zuma is expected to race for the NC's top position against the Bill President Cyril Ramaphosa during the party's national conference scheduled for December. Speaking to Youth League supporters, Lamini Zuma said the ANC is unfazed by concerns that the radical economic transformation and land expropriation might have negative consequences. Yeah. 
because we have said this country belongs to all who live in it, black and white. But it doesn't mean that some section must have land and other sections should not. Education will take us out of poverty. Skills. Because when you have skills, you will be innovators, you will create jobs. We need to industrialize. You will be industrialists. So let's transform this economy. It's ours. Let's transform it. We are not excluding anyone, but we are not going to be excluded. Keep quiet. Lamini Zuma also referred to the Freedom Charter, saying the ANC is still committed to free education. According to Lamini Zuma, free education up to university level should not be put on hold on the basis that there is no money to fund it. She mentioned Cuba as one of the countries with sluggish economy but yet managed to provide free education. But also, we cannot close the gap. Education is the quickest equalizer. But of course, the road to that also goes via ensuring that education is accessible to all. We cannot deal with poverty if our people remain unskilled and unemployed. So education must have the first call in our resources. We cannot justify any child that is denied education or skills on the basis of poverty or lack of of money. That cannot be justified. No child should be denied education on the basis that they cannot pay. While ANC Utlik Secretary General Njabulon Zuza, who also addressed the meeting, called for the taxation of wealthy people and an increase in corporate tax to fund free education. Nzuza also called for a standardized fee structure across all universities. Others question us. They say, how are we going to fund free education in this country? Currently in South Africa, in the fiscal or in our budget, corporates are contributing almost half of what personal income tax contributors are contributing to the fiscal which means personal income tax is what is driving expenditure of government instead of taxing corporates. Therefore, we should not be ashamed that we should tax corporates who are rich more in order to fund free education. And they can't threaten us and say, you will scare off those who want to come and invest in South Africa. Meanwhile, Lamini Zuma condemned vandalism of property during protests, including the destruction of university property during the recent Fees Must Fall protests. I'm Vusima Kosin in Deben. Meanwhile, Parliament's Disciplinary Committee is to investigate the conduct of South Africa's opposition party, the Economic Freedom Fighters' Chief Whip, Floyd Chivambo, during the motion of no confidence debate against the country's President Jacob Zuma in November last year. According to Parliament's internal order papers, Chivambo is alleged to have failed to withdraw a remark he made against President Jacob Zuma, which was deemed unparliamentary by the presiding officer. Lulama Madia has more. 
The motion of no confidence against President Jacob Zuma was sparked by the State of Capture report released by former public protector Tulima Donsela. EFF Chief Whip Floyd Shibambu accused President Zuma of dictatorship. He also claimed that the president was not the one who appointed his cabinet ministers. We are calling upon you to get your own platforms. You might win the vote today because you must vote according to what Gwede Mantashe has said. But create your own platforms to remove the post-colonial disaster that is facing South Africa. Because before you know it, you would have captured everything. After he has dealt with everyone else, he's going to arrest you. He's going to arrest all of you. He's going to lock you up. He's going to kill you. That is the reality of the situation because he knows that he has got nothing to lose now. He knows that if he doesn't have control of political power, he's going to be going to prison. On a point of order, honorable, uh, honorable We're going to bring Jacob Zuma down. Whether it's through political action on or through this Jacob Zuma is going to fall. ANC Deputy Chief Whip Doris Lagude intervened requesting the presiding officer to ask Shibambu to withdraw his remarks. Lagude said the matters that Shibambu was raising required a substantive motion. If a member wants to bring anything to the House, it must be substantiated. So Honorable Shibambu made serious allegations about the appointments of ministers. We know that these matters are in the report that is still to be further investigated by the, by the Commission of Inquiry. So he must substantiate what he's, he was saying with, with regard to the ministers. And the other issue that he raised... He said the president has got nothing to lose. Right now, he will be able to kill his opponents. That is unparliamentary, and he must substantiate that as well. But DA Chief Whip John Stian Hayson disagreed, saying a motion of no confidence was a substantive motion. Deputy Speaker, I wish to point it out to you, and perhaps the Deputy Chief Whip, if she was not aware, this actually is a substantive motion, and it is on the order paper as such. With respect, I want to take issue with your ruling that this is not a substantive motion. It most certainly is a substantive motion. It would be virtually impossible, it would be virtually impossible to discuss the removal of the President of the Republic of South Africa if we were not to be able to discuss the reasons why we wish to the removal. That is why we were required to substantiate it, why there was significant intervention by your office to amend wording, etc., to make sure that it was in compliance. But it would, be, it, it would make a farce of this whole debate if it were not regarded as a substantive motion because we couldn't put the charges uh, in which we feel the president needs to be removed if it was any other way. Deputy Speaker Lechisa Tsinodi ordered Shibambu to withdraw his remarks. Honorable members, a motion of no confidence in terms of section 102 of the constitution is not a substantive motion as defined and provided for in the rules. It does not require a clearly formulated and properly substantiated charge, but may be brought on political grounds. A motion in terms of Section 89 of the Constitution, on the other hand, is a substantive motion since it must comprise and clearly formulated and properly substantiated charge as provided for in Section 89.1. Honorable members, therefore, the unparliamentary reference 
that uh, Honorable Shivambo referred to, uh, are incorrect and therefore falls foul of the rules, and we suggest that he withdraws them. But Shibambu remained unrepentant. Let me assure you that I'm not going to withdraw truth. It's not going to happen. Yes. It's never going to happen. I'm not going to withdraw the truth that the Gupta family working with Jacob Zuma have appointed Zwane and have appointed Van Royen. It's a matter of fact. I can't withdraw that particular reality. Yeah. And it's a reality that we are living under a growing dictatorship of Jacob Zuma. It's a fact. Who is seeking to enrich himself and his family? There is no need to withdraw that. I will never withdraw. It will never happen. I, I repeat that all dictators, after they steal government money and they enrich their families and they fight against their opponents, their last option is to kill their opponents. As a matter of fact, that is where it is going. How, what kind of a president charges their own ministers Honorable through wrong procedures? Because that is where he's Honorable going. Member. Jacob Zuma is going to kill you. Honorable All member. of you who are thinking that you are on his side now. You are going to vote for him today, but in the future he's going to kill all of you. Honorable member. The matter has now been referred to Parliament's Disciplinary Tribunal for further investigation. The Secretary to the National Assembly, Masbule Lekaso, explains. It is made up of your most senior whips. That's what the rule says, the rule books. Um, your most senior whips to deal with these matters. And I suspect part of what it will do, it will assist in terms of enhancing um, parliamentary practice and coming up with um, recommendations on how issues like this uh, should be dealt with, where a member is asked to withdraw, member does not withdraw, asked to leave the house, member does not leave the house. How do you take it beyond that? Um, apart from removing members from the house, we, we guess. Those are some of the issues that the committee will deal with. But in terms of the sanctions, to be specific, uh, the rules do not uh, stipulate the sanctions. That was Secretary of the National Assembly in South Africa, Masi Bulele Kaso, ending that report by Lula Mamatya in Parliament. It's 8.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1994. First reports of the Rwandan genocide are starting to appear. That was today in history in the year 1994. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetua. Africa, Africa, wema. Sunrise. Africa. Africa. Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa Mulishani Pulibanji. Africa and Yomikilonshele. Africa and Dinkim Kinkunume. Witsin de happen Africa. It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people, Channel Africa. The African Perspective. This is DJ Cleo with G-Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. Bringing you the African Perspective.
South Africa's finance minister believes there are many possibilities for the country's economy to grow. That was his message after arriving in Washington yesterday to participate in the annual spring meetings of the International Monetary Fund and World Bank. And despite the whisperings of economic policy changes down the road, Malusi Gigaba believes the focus will rather be on properly implementing existing policies that have not been that have been slow to deliver required dividends to the majority of South Africa. Our correspondent Sharon Bryce-Peace looks back on the opening of the high-level segment of meetings in the United States Capitol that included a strong focus on issues of globalization in a climate when protectionism and some countries looking inwardly are dominating the global economic narrative. A world economy on the mend, with growth spurred by higher demand in China and a growing economy in the United States, South Africa could yet weather the economic clouds that have gathered, at least according to Gigaba. We've got the the wind at our back. I don't think that the world is up against us. There are challenges that every country faces. The world economy is not growing as fast as it should, even though it is now on a growth uh, trajectory. There are still risks. Um, in the outlook. Risks that include political and policy uncertainty with countries warned here not to shoot themselves in the foot. Listen to IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde. There are risks to the downsides uh, including political uncertainty Uh, and we all remember the green shoots of 2011 which did not last very long. All countries of course should guard against what I have called the self-inflicted wounds. And while Minister Gigaba has maintained that government policy has not changed despite the cabinet reshuffle, with the ANC policy conference in June, could change come in the medium to longer term? I don't expect that there will be dramatic changes in the ANC policy. Whatever policy changes that take place at the ANC policy conference and the national conference are more likely to be in line with the policy decisions we've taken in the previous years. Remember that the the ANC has been much stronger in taking policy decisions than in implementing them. The biggest concern among many people in the ANC today and among many South Africans, including the opposition, is the fact that those those policies need to be accelerated. This is the biggest concern. This is what's going to be discussed. And, and, And I think that the National Conference of the ANC is going to look at all of these things in a very sober manner. The question of nationalization raised with IMF economist and South African mission chief, Paolo Mauro. If I am uh, in my house and I see that the government comes and takes over the house of my neighbor, uh, that doesn't make me very inclined to invest in improving my own house. So I think everybody understands that. Uh, On the other hand, uh, if somebody increases the property tax on all the households in in my neighborhood, uh, I may be a little bit upset because I have to pay a little bit more taxes, but that's the kind of thing that people understand and, uh, you know, if it comes with uh, better public services, I would be willing to pay a somewhat higher property tax. So that's just one sort of silly example, but I do think that it illustrates the challenge. How do you restore equality in the country without uh, creating an environment in which investor confidence, uh, you don't want to undermine that type of investor confidence. In fact, you want to make sure that, that people know what the rules of the game are.
More broadly, it was globalization that loomed large here in Washington in an era where trade policies have been questioned by powerful nations, including the United Kingdom and the United States. World Bank President Jim Yong Kim. We also are very much aware of the fact that um, there are many who have not benefited uh, from globalization who are very angry uh, at the fact that they've not benefited. Um, uh, now, uh, if you, uh, if, if you uh, look at sort of what's happened in the world in terms of uh, lifting people out of poverty, you know, China has had the strongest experience, lifting 800 million people out of poverty. And that happened uh, when it braced, embraced uh, the global market, when it uh, opened itself to competition, when it uh, um, uh, engaged uh, more and more uh, in trade. Disputing the notion that increased global trade has resulted in a majority of people losing their jobs. A lot of people blame trade for the loss of jobs, for example, in the United States. But if you ask the WTO, they'll say that at most, at very most, only 20% of job loss is from, um, uh, from trade. And, and the vast majority is from automation. Issues of climate financing, structural reforms and reskilling in an era of automation that will eliminate two-thirds of jobs over time, also on the agenda here. I'm Sherman Bricepies in Washington. Let's go back in time to today. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz was the first woman to cross the finish line at the Boston Marathon in the U.S. However, she was later exposed as a fraud. Canadian Jacqueline Garrill was named the actual winner of the woman's race. That was today in history in the year 1980. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Channel Africa is bringing you a new program from Tuesday, the 25th of April. Join us from 900 to 1000 hours Central African time for African Gender Ndaba, a unique program tackling issues of gender injustice, equality and transformation across our continent of Africa. You can catch the program at 900 hours Central African time on Tuesdays or at 200 hours Central African time on Wednesdays and at 300 hours on Saturdays. African Gender and Daba brought to you by Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the Egyptian military air force has killed 19 Islamic extremists in the volatile Sinai Peninsula. A Rwandan man accused of leading and coordinating attacks on minority Tutsis during Rwanda's 1994 genocide has been sentenced to life imprisonment for his role in the mass slaughter. And Al-Shabaab militants have warned parents in Somalia not to send their children to non-Islamic schools and universities. Those are the stories making headlines.
Thank you, Anne. It's 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now, Malawi's authorities are still searching for the remains of people who died after a boat they were traveling in capsized on Lake Malawi this week. Ten people have been confirmed dead, while 37 others are said to have survived the accident. This is the latest worst incident to have happened on Lake Malawi after another one last May which killed 12 people. George Mango has more from Blanta. While details remain sketchy about the actual number of those that were in the boat, police state that more than 50 people are still missing. They say such people were on their way back to Chalo from Lower in Irumpi, a district that is partly close to Tanzania. Authorities say such people belong to the Church of Central African Presbyterian and they went there for Easter prayers. They say people managed to travel to Mlo in Irumpi. However, on their way back, they were met with heavy winds that made the boat to capsize. Some concerned Malawians want government to improve the transport system. My name is Mese Mwalidino. I stay in Irumpi. It's a big concern of what has happened in the lake. I think the government should take precautions measures to avoid the same thing occurring in the next time. What I'm trying to mean is at least government should be strict with the people, the capacity of, the, of those who are supposed to enter into the boat rather than exceeding the people. Maybe if the capacity was enough, maybe the people would have survived. Maybe the boat wouldn't have drowned. So the government should be serious on that. And maybe if possible, the government should also have some measures, maybe a standby boat and rescuers to rescue the people so that we shouldn't have the same disasters next time. I'm Martha Gondwe. I feel sorry because of the accident which happened in Lumpi. I think the government should also be strict, like the way they used to be strict on the road. They should make sure that those who are driving those boats should carry the light capacity of the people. Some of the survivors were treated at Mlowo Health Center after some rescue efforts by the Malawi Army and police. Authorities say it took time for them to get the messages because the place is far coupled with poor transport network system. In May last year, 12 people died after a Tanzanian boat they were traveling in, MV Mapenza, developed a fort and capsized on the lake. Government has since said they'll secure funds and construct a road that would connect Chitimba and Chalo via Mulowe, which has been impossible for decades. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blanta. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
It's 8.35 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Nearly a third less aid has reached people in Syria's besieged towns this year compared with 2016 as men with guns and local power brokers continue to obstruct deliveries, the UN said on Thursday. The information from Jan Egeland, special advisor to the UN followed a scheduled meeting of the Syria Humanitarian Task Force in Geneva. The panel was set up to assist millions of people now enduring a seventh year of conflict. Daniel Johnson has more. So far this year, the United Nations and its partners have trucked or airdropped aid to more than half a million people inside the country devastated by more than six years of war. But just six besieged areas have been reached during 2017. There are 13 in total, and two of them only got help last week for the first time this year. They are Al-Hula and Habanifsa in the west of the country, where 90,000 people are in need. The situation reflects the ongoing problems facing humanitarians who operate inside Syria and the suffering it entails for civilians. After condemning Saturday's suicide bomb attack on civilians from Fur and Kafraya, which killed more than 130 people, Special Advisor to the UN Jan Egelen told journalists in Geneva that 30% less aid had reached towns encircled by men with guns and power this year compared with 2016. There are courageous humanitarian workers. There are trucks. We have warehouses. But the military logic is ruling on and for and in and around the besieged areas these days. We're not, we're not able to go there in too many of the areas. Humanitarians have had more success in accessing so-called hard-to-reach areas, those controlled but not surrounded by government or opposition forces, where aid deliveries are up 35% in 2017. But plenty of civilians are still in a desperate position, Jan Egeland said, despite their efforts to get round the military restrictions. Syrians on both sides often come together to help us. Civilians inside the besieged areas on opposing sides appeal for help to the other side. It's the men with guns and power who hold us back. Those suffering the most include 400,000 people in eastern Ghouta, which has been without aid since last summer, and another 70,000 in Douma, also outside Damascus. Fighting has moved to the Syrian capital after government forces pushed opposition fighters out of eastern Aleppo at the end of last year. On the political front, United Nations Special Envoy for Syria, Staffan de Mistura, told journalists that he had received early reports of constructive talks between Iran, Russia, Turkey and the UN in Tehran. Subjects on the table included detainees and demining, Mr de Mistura said. He added that the meeting in Iran between the co-guarantors of the extremely fragile ceasefire agreement in Syria was a precursor to another meeting at a higher level in Astana, Kazakhstan, penciled in for early May. Depending on the situation on the ground in Syria, this will be followed by a new round of intra-Syrian talks in Geneva later next month. Daniel Johnson, United Nations, Geneva. It's been only a few months since the Colombian government signed a peace deal with the FARC rebels. The rebels are expected to turn in all their weapons by June. After that, many of the fighters will be disbanded and reintegrated into Colombian society. But will they be accepted? And how hard will it be for their former enemies to forgive them? That the BBC's Candace Pieti has been to the city of Medellin to visit a business helping promote peace and reconciliation. (laughs) 
Juan Manuel Barrientos' restaurant El Cielo fuses ancient and modern ingredients from across Colombia. It's also cooking up something else. His family's charitable foundation trains former fighters, paramilitary, army and FARC in kitchen techniques. We train them in making bread, making pastry, restaurant food, and we train them in coffee preparation, which, which in Spanish is called barista, and then ha- they have all the skills. Then they come to Cielo to specialize in fine dining, and when they finish, they have two things. They have our recommendation letter, which opens a lot of doors, and the other thing is they have open skills in several, in several fields. 300 ex-fighters have passed through the restaurant's training program in the last 11 years, sent there by security and government agencies. 30% of the restaurant's profits go towards the project. But Mr. Barrientos admits getting embittered former enemies to work together is a painful and delicate process. We have had difficult moments, of course, but what we find is that, that love is it's greater than hate. And we have managed to do really good forgiveness sessions in order to get them to show their sensitive side. So when you get in in a session like that, that both parts show not their anger but their love. Getting used to each other was not easy for two of El Cielo's workers. Dulce Maria, not her real name, worked as a FARC messenger for four years, carrying explosives and equipment for the guerrillas. Ruben Darío Romero Díaz lost a leg eight years ago in a mine explosion. He'd been a professional soldier and a sworn enemy of the FARC. Yes, I was very afraid of Romero. The first time I went into the kitchen and saw him, I felt goosebumps. But I thought, if I had had the courage to leave the FARC, I could have the courage to tell him how I was feeling. He said he had already forgiven the FARC, that we were here for the peace, and he would be there for anything I needed. For me, it was very difficult to begin with, after I lost my leg in 2008. But the years have gone by, and I think now that the only way to deal with the past is to forgive to leave everything that happened behind and live in the present and for the future. Both former enemies love to cook. Dulce Maria, beans, and Romero, rice. But they both admit the ingredients for a national peace will take longer to find. For Dulce Maria, there's always the fear of revenge. She tells no one about her previous life and she still can't visit her children. As for Romero, he says the future of the peace process is now in the hands of ordinary Colombians to make good. The FARC have done their part by demobilizing and handing in their arms. Now it's up to all of us Colombians to give them a chance and to accept them into society. That report by BBC's Candice Piete in Colombian city of Medellin. It's 8.43 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa.
South African police have arrested a controversial Durban-based Nigerian pastor who is wanted in connection with alleged sexual assaults at Port Elizabeth Airport yesterday. He is accused of taking girls to his Umhlanga house in Natal province where he allegedly sexually molested them. Police from Elite Hawks unit initially planned his arrest at his Bloemfontein congregation last Friday, but he did not arrive to deliver his sermon. He was then ordered to hand himself over in Port Elizabeth, as Oluetu Matsipane reports. The Hawks pounced on the pastor at the Port Elizabeth International Airport upon his arrival from KwaZulu-Natal. It is believed that they were given false information regarding his flight details. Members of the Hawks arrested him in a toilet cubicle at the airport, where it is believed he was seeking refuge. Hawks spokesperson Robert Nichiwunda. After we uh, got information that um, his flight was delayed, which we could not just believe at face value, we had to take initiative as the Hawks to go to the airport ourselves, only to find out that the flight was on scheduled time and when we had to get to our man, um, yes, he did not use the way we thought he would use. We had to go after him, yes. Nachiwunda says charges of alleged human trafficking have been laid against the accused and he will appear in the Port Elizabeth Magistrates Court on Friday. We have arrested him for trafficking in persons. will defend their pastor, who they refer to as Daddy. I'm Olutu Matsipane in Port Elizabeth. I'm Tabi Solohoku with an economics update. Good morning. Zimbabwe's tax agency says it has collected 862 million US dollars in the first quarter of this year, exceeding its target by 6%, helped by automated operations and improved compliance among businesses. The Southern African country, which fell short of its 2016 revenue goal by 4%, as its economy suffered from weaker commodity prices and a liquidity crisis, expects to collect $3.7 billion this year. President Robert Mugabe's government, which fell out with Western donors nearly two decades ago amid accusations of human rights abuses and electoral fraud, does not receive significant direct international aid and relies almost entirely on tax revenues to fund the country's budget. Nigeria's finance minister Kemi Odiasan says the country plans to get out of recession by boosting government revenues and cracking down on corruption. The country is in its second year of recession brought on by lower oil prices which have slashed government revenues, weakened the currency and caused US dollar frustrating business households. Now the World Bank's chief economist for Africa, Albert Zufak, on Wednesday said that fiscal adjustments in Nigeria would be extremely challenging and that the country needed to reform its finances to ensure it can hedge against any currency crisis. A new Labour Federation in South Africa, which is seeking to rival the largest trade union, Kasatu, is set to be launched this Friday. The South African Federation of Trade Unions will be launched in Boxburg in the east of Johannesburg. Former Kusatu's General Secretary Zolenzi Mavavi, who was expelled from Kusatu in 2015, is spearheading the launch. 21 trade unions are expected to join the new Labour Federation. 
Vavi says that the aim of establishing the new Labour Federation is to win back the trust of workers in South Africa. He has emphasised that the South African trade unions will not be aligned to any political party. From tomorrow, every worker and uh, every uh, employer who is hell-bent on undermining the basic rights of workers that are enshrined in the Constitution and in the law, fasting your, your seat belts. Uh, a new movement has just arisen, and that movement is going to be about the working people, not about leadership that are negotiating their way to Parliament, not about advancing factions in the ANC or the interest of who must be uh, in, the, in, in the table to distribute patronage. The Tana High Level Forum on Security in Africa has announced that Liberian President Alan Johnson Sirleaf will be the keynote speaker at the 6th Tana Forum to be held this weekend in Ethiopia. The forum is held every year. It is an informal gathering of heads of state and government. This year's theme aims to reflect on the centrality of natural resources, both in historical as well as in contemporary times. In understanding the far-reaching implications and state security relations within the continent and Africa's disadvantageous position in global production and exchange. Cordova's President Alassane Ouattara says that the country has cut planned spending for 2017 by 10% due to a sharp drop in world prices of cocoa. The move is a major concession by a government that has prided itself on a stewardship of the country's African country, uh, the West African country rather, which is the world's biggest cocoa exporter during its recovery from a 2011 civil war. It has since emerged as one of the world's fastest growing economies, drawing the interest of international investors. The US dollar trades at 13.20 in South Africa, 10.32 in Botswana, 9.33 in Zambia, 7.8 to the British pound, 9.3 to the euro. Gold is at $1,279, platinum $971 an ounce, brand crude $53.05 a barrel. I'm Tabiso Lohoku. A sports update up next with Figle Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we're starting off with athletics. Today's 100-meter final race at the Athletics South Africa Asa Senior Championships at the Kenneth MacArthur Athletic Stadium in Pochef's Room, Northwest Province, promises to be the most exciting athletics event in the history of the sporting code in the country. All five athletes who have ran sub-10s in the country will take part in today's event, starting with the heats at noon today. Akani Simbine, Tando Khoto, Henrico Brenkis, Wade Fanikerk, and Simon Mahakwe are the five sprinters who have dipped under 10 seconds in the country. Khoto, the youngest of the five, says... A lot has changed in South African athletics. There is no difference really to, to me because it feels like it's still the same national championships. Hopefully it will be lucky number five. Yeah. <laughs> South African athletics from five years ago till now, it has changed. 
five years ago we only we didn't even have a, a sub 10 printer now we have five sub 10 printers we shouldn't forget for, for the likes of Simon because of he'll be running he's, he's going to be running this week this, this weekend so hopefully it's going to be Khotos coach Henny Grill has also been with him for five years now and he believes that he's going to be the surprise package in today's 100 meter final. You know, you get attached to all your athletes and him specifically. I've, I've been coaching him now for five years, you know, and uh, he's, he's a wonderful person. I expect him to be the surprise this weekend. I've seen him train every day and I and I and I. As I know him for five years, and he's in a, in a wonderful space in his mind. Uh, he's, he's settled, and he's fast. You know, I am the coach, so I work with him. I only see him in, in, in that group uh, of top 100-meter uh, sprinters. But uh, I know Tandu by this time, and I can tell you he is currently fast. He's healthy, and he's highly motivated. And the London Marathon's three-time winner, Mary Keitani, is the favorite for this year's event after last year's London and Olympic champion and fellow Kenyan Jemima Sumgong pulled out after failing a doping test. Sumgong's positive for the blood booster EPO brought stinging criticism from some of her compatriots ahead of the race. Florence Kiblagard says the doping violation was a shame. Um, to me... It really embarrasses the sport. Uh, and when it comes to if the truth will be like that, uh, I'm really ashamed. I'm ashamed because we have been losing top athletes like that. Mary Keitani sounded tired of seeing the name of their sport and the country besmirched, saying dopers are killing the sport for the future. I think uh, it's better uh, somebody to carry his or her own cross than to, uh, to say uh, Kenya. And most of us there in Kenya, uh, I think also in Ethiopia, we can say uh, there is uh, athletes also who are talented since when they were born. So uh, I think uh, most of us, we are talented by uh, nature. and. I don't know uh, why you are adding something uh, else than to train, to train hard, be disciplined, and get an rest than to go and try to ask some, some other things. Finally, with football news, Zanako coach Munamba Munamba has urged the Zambian under-20 technical team to excuse their players Mangani Banda and Boyd Musonda from the camp. Reports indicate that the bankers are focusing on the 2017 CAF Champions League group stages and cannot afford to lose the duo. However, the under-20 coach Bestin Chambeshi says Banda and Musonda will remain with Zanako until tomorrow as the Junior Chipolopolo are preparing for the 2017 South Korea FIFA World Cup coming up next month. Chambeji's men will battle it out against Costa Rica, Iran and Portugal in Group C and it is mentioned that the Junior African Champions will leave for intensive training in Spain on Sunday. That's a sport news this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa calls for South Africa's president to step down and intensify and a boat accident kills at least 37 people in Malawi That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week for myself Lulu Gabu producer Pumuzo Ramagaza and Komuzo Mpulane technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team thank you for joining us for comments about our show send us an email at info@channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 I think us at the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern africa is anko with a song titled gifela bil Fuck him, leave. I'm gonna 